Let's get back to Team Talk on ESPN Radio 1017 The Team. Yes, welcome back to ESPN Radio 1017 The Team. Here till 6 and then Milwaukee from there as the Dodgers go into Milwaukee to place uh, to face the Brewers. Julio Arias on the mound for the Dodgers. 2.49 ERA and going down. Freddie Peralta on the mound for the Brewers. All right, but now it's time for the top five at five. Take it away, Sam Hauser. Begin countdown. Five. 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 All right, well, as we, as we start with who's in, who's out, this comes from James Yotis of the Albuquerque Journal, and it's Eric Orell. He's the new boys basketball coach for the La Cueva Bears previously coached at Bosky School, previously coached at Manzano, and he's got some some pretty good ties. As you know, we like to do in sports, if somebody's on the, the Bill Belichick tree or the Greg Popovich tree, well, he's on the Greg Brown coaching tree, so uh, La Cueva in good hands with Eric O'Rell. Yeah, and, you know, it seems like O'Rell coached, I think, with Greg Brown uh, at uh, Manzano and then at Volcano Vista for a little while. Then he went back to Manzano and, and uh, you know, stayed in that kind of that same Greg Brown tree. Uh, so he's going to be the new head coach at La Cueva, and that's a, a heck of a job for uh, a basketball coach in the state of New Mexico. A lot of talent. I know uh, no Exodus heirs for La Cueva. We know that he's going to a prep school in New Hampshire for, for both football and basketball, but Anyway, you cut it. La Cueva is a great job, and they made it to the semifinals of state this year. And uh, good luck to the new head coach at La Cueva, Eric Orell. All right, what else, Sam? Well, it's what's in, and it might be here to stay at this point. It's November baseball. So Major League Baseball released the postseason schedule for this coming season, and the World Series will not start until October 28th which means that we will be guaranteed November baseball because even if it's a sweep, Game 4 would be on November 1st. Now, should the Fall Classic go all the way to Game 7, it would mark the latest end to a baseball season in the league's history on November 5th, the same day as Week 10 of the college football season. Okay, we were talking about this last week because we were talking about the Twins and their stadium and how gorgeous it is It is for about two and a half months of the season, but you mentioned you know, how at the front end in April, how brutal it is, and I was like, forget about April. Like, Let's talk about what could be the case late October and November, and right now the Twins are in the playoffs, I think, um, or darn close to it. I mean, uh, Cleveland and, and Minnesota have been going back and forth in that division. So anyway, there's an example of you, you could have a World Series game in November in Minnesota, and uh, that would be certainly unusual. Um, the old uh, thing, the old saying was Mr. October. I mean, they talked about Reggie Jackson would light up come October. Now, you know, in the World Series in October, now it's going to be like who's going to be the first Mr. November, Sam? Yeah, and we'll find, and, and there's bound to be one that we're not thinking of right now, so that is still to come. And again, in November, there will be a guarantee of a World Series game in November as the season just continues to go later and later. It could be a couple more because that's game four is November 1st. Right. So if it goes seven... It would be November 5th. Okay, there you go. Uh, You see, you're on it. All right, what else, Sam? 
Also in the Dodgers, back into the record books and the history books. And the- wait, wait a second. And also you mentioned the crossover into NFL and college football. That's college football's 10th week of the season. Yep, week 10 of okay. college football. So now you've got, like, who knows who's playing that week with a lot of attention on great matchups. There's no doubt about it. The season will have been in full, full bore there for the college football season. So you know about the NFL being... You know the 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 big boys. Now you got college football on the on its heels. They play college football and NFL during the week now, and you know you're trying to wedge those World Series games in there and try and take some of the audience away from football, which which really has not happened to this point over the last few years. Yeah, uh, if, if if again if there was a Game Seven of the World Series on the same day, you'd have Game Seven of the Fall Classic. And a big rematch from the last couple of seasons. There have been some good ones. Week 10 of college football, Notre Dame at home against Clemson. (laughs) That's one of them, and there's probably about 20 others that are going to, you know, people are going to take interest in. All right, what else, Sam? The Dodgers in the record books and the history books. Their win streak came to an end yesterday. They got blanked by Kansas City, but not before they won 12 in a row, the franchise's longest win streak since 1976. And the Dodgers doing so with that 12 in a row in dominant fashion. They won all 12 games by multiple runs. First National League team to do that in 100 years. And it was almost, it was pretty much exactly to the date. It was August 13th, 1922. The Pittsburgh Pirates won 13 in a row by multiple runs. So the Dodgers falling just short, but the historic season rolls on. Okay, you know what that tells me? So multiple runs means. Two or more. Right. Okay. That should not seem that unusual, except people have no idea on how many of these games are decided by one run. Right. And and that example there of multiple runs, you think you get on a hot streak and you're kicking everybody's rear end, inevitably you're going to win a number of one-run games over the course of a winning streak like that. So obviously... The Dodgers were doing that. They were pounding teams, but it's that unusual because usually one-run games are very, very common in baseball. Because especially, you know, just remember it this way: you've got the home team that is only getting eight at bats in a win if they don't bat in the bottom of the ninth because they've already won. So the other team gets an incremental inning of at bats than the home team does, and a lot of times we'll we'll take a lead that's at two, three, four runs and get it down to one because. Those other runs really don't matter. You know, like you see guys, they'll uh, let a runner get into scoring position, uh, you know, on a st- what are the indifference or whatever yeah. for a steal because that run doesn't matter. You see that all a lot. So that's why run one run games are so common in baseball. Nobody's happier about that stat than Craig Kimbrell. Because he hasn't been pushed to the limit on that? I mean, Yeah, because he's, he's not, coming in with three and four run leads, I know. and then he gives up a run, and then it's okay. Good good point, but then people are looking at a 4.63 ERA, too, at some point. Well, speaking of Notre Dame, also in, NBC has the new broadcast crew for Notre Dame football this year. We had heard rumors that this was going to be the case, and now it's official. It will be Jack Collinsworth on the call on the play-by-play, the son of Chris Collinsworth. And on the color analysis... After one season of commentary uh, in some what we can basically call minor league football, the Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett doing Notre Dame football this year. And you know what? The, of the two, the one that's most logical for me, Jason Garrett. 
Okay, uh, you know, I don't. Hey, we wish uh, Jack Collinsworth well. I mean, he um, he got inserted. Let's face it; it doesn't hurt to have your dad as Chris Collinsworth over there, the lead analyst on NBC for Monday or Sunday night football. Yeah, Sunday night football. Yeah. Or, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he sounds That's, just like his dad. It's remarkable. Well, um, Chris Collinsworth is an analyst. Play by play is a different animal. But I think Jason Garrett is actually going to be. Like, really good. I mean, he's a Princeton grad. He's, like, done just about everything in the at the professional level with regard to coaching with a, a great understanding of the college scene. So I think it's probably he's going to be fine. We'll have to see what Collins were. But, you, you know, you're replacing Mike Tirico. I mean, that right there is almost impossible to do. Uh, Drew Brees, on the other hand, not so much. And that's why I think uh, that Jason Garrett will replace uh, Drew Brees nicely, but there's no way that Jack Collinsworth, at least in the short term, is going to be, li- be able to live up to the standards of a of a Mike Tirico. All right, what else, uh, Sam? All right, as for who is out, news coming down this morning that New Mexico United will temporarily be without one of their new first-year players as well. Uh, Carl Sainty loaned to North Texas SC. They are an affiliate club for the MLS's FC Dallas uh, with an option to buy, so... Uh, it could be a possibility that it's a uh, uh, short-term uh, time here in New Mexico United for Carl Sainty, but he gets his chance with the affiliate for FC Dallas. Well, that's what's going to happen when uh, United keeps acquiring. I mean, uh, Kevon Freider, we, we, ju- we, just, we know we just got him in the last week or so. United just got him. So these, these other situations are going to happen where, where guys are going to move on, and this is an example of that with uh, Santee. Also, out Walker Bueller. This uh, just still late breaking at this point. This hurts. Dodgers making it official that he will have season-ending elbow surgery. So it's already been a couple of months since we've seen Walker Bueller on the mound. You know, of course, Dodgers are hoping for as much as many arms as they can get come postseason time. Unfortunately, Walker Bueller will not be one of them. But you know, and look, th- there's no replacing Walker Bueller, especially in September and October. But with the job, you know, that Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson have done this year, that rotation's still in good hands. Again, no Walker Bueller, but that that hurts a it lot. Does. It, it, it does. It does. And and I thought with his injury being kind of so early in the season that it would be a given that it, with his age and you know he wasn't like a an injury prone player, he'd definitely be back come postseason. And the announcement that he's not even going to be, uh, you know, they've already decided he's not going to be part. That, that hurts uh, Kershaw. We're still waiting on him. It was a lower back injury with Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. I, still some time to heal with him. And let's not forget, Clayton Kershaw almost threw two no-hitters this season. Right. So it wasn't like Clayton Kershaw kind of riding off into the sunset. A lot of people thought Clayton Kershaw was as good as he's been in the last three or four years when he was able to pitch this season. And Dustin May still on track to rejoin the Dodgers before the end of this month, it's still yeah. But here's loose. the thing with Dustin May. I mean, I, I like what you're saying with Gonsolin, uh, Tyler Anderson, uh, you know, uh, Urias, uh, these other guys. There, Dustin May was was like on his way to being a top flight starter. How he comes back um, is still yet to be seen. Don't forget that. I mean, throwing strikes and being the same pitcher he was. You see it more and more in baseball. I'm amazed, though. This guy's out with Tommy John surgery. He comes back, and he's better. And that's kind of what the path that he's looking at, just what we've seen. Again, it's 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 minor leagues. He's on these minor league rehab starts. 
But from what we've seen out of Dustin May, he's looking to be on that path of these guys that come back even stronger. All right, who else is out, Sam? One more, it's Jimmy G. The story coming from Mike Silver of the San, of the San Francisco Chronicle over the last couple of days. A report about how Jimmy Garoppolo would just disappear for weeks at a time during the offseason. And this is a regular occurrence over the last few years, including right after he signed a five-year $137 million contract. He's got his million-dollar smile. He's on the podium. He talks, and then he leaves, and then nobody knows where he goes for a couple of weeks at a time. Uh, one of the quotes in the story, again, is from the San Francisco Chronicle, Mike Silver. Once he left that press conference, nobody heard from him for weeks and weeks. He didn't return calls. He didn't return texts. He basically just vanished. We were looking at each other like, what just happened? So Jimmy Garoppolo, a, a perpetual... Off-season disappearer. So what is the latest and greatest on that? I mean, we know that the 49ers have said bye-bye to him without saying bye-bye because he's still getting paid. What do you think is going to shake out? I mean, especially now as we're getting into the preseason now, it's looking more and more likely that they might just they might just cut him. Just cut him. It, it, yeah, they, well, that for, rather than finding the, a trade partner. So with some of the backups that we saw over the course of the first week of the preseason, I, I, it just would surprise me greatly if he doesn't find a home. Also, um, Cameron Smith is out, right? He's not going to play this upcoming weekend because he doesn't need to in order to get into the finals of the FedEx Cup. Right. He's got, he's dealing with a, with a hip injury, and so it's almost as much a precaution as anything else to try to get himself uh, to, Plus, to there's East Lake. The, the black cloud over there, right. you know, the fact that he's moving. Moving on to uh, live, it appears. All right, uh, what else, Sam? What is number four? We talked about it earlier in the show with the voice of United, Adam Deal. He heard the games here on 101.7 The Team. It was a 2-0 halftime lead for New Mexico United on the road at Los Dos LA Galaxy 2. It ends up being a 2-2 draw and another case where it was a couple of quick goals that New Mexico United allows. And we saw this last week with Sac Republic and a, cu- a couple goals just a, a few minutes apart for LA Galaxy. They come to away t- with a point. To tie. Yeah, to, to, yeah, to, to tie, tie the game. We've got, we got highlights. Let's, let's, let's like focus on the good. Okay, we had a couple of goals uh, in last night's game. Let's, let's hear them, Sam. All the way to Suggs. Suggs is going to swing this into the box. And it's handled by Weehan. Weehan's inside the 18. Goes backwards with it. And it's clipped in. Shake the net. Romario Williams has done it. And United on top 1-0. All right. And then the next one was uh, Christian Nava. We hadn't heard from him in a while. A great Albuquerque High alum. Uh, he was a he was credited with a goal. It was an old goal, but I told you when Adam Deal says things are dangerous and they're pressing, you better tune in. Into the midfield, Doyle's got it in his own box now as they'll keep it rolling here to the near side. United, great press. Harry Swartz steals. Harry Swartz has it. Harry Swartz swings it out here into the box now on the end line on the near side. It's Nava. Couple of cuts. Nava towards the end line. Swings it low and hard. Gets it back off the deflection. Nava still dancing on top of it. Sends it in. Takes the deflection and it's in. 2 nil on an own goal. Shake the net, United. Add to their lead. So you think, you know, 2 nil lead, three points on the line, and then... It turns out like United gives up a couple of goals there, and uh, Alex Tambakis wasn't in the net last night, but 
Uh, Cameron Parker, I believe, in. Uh, nobody blamed him. I mean, it was uh, it was like a team disappointment in letting up those two late goals. Yeah, it was it was an opportunity for for Ford to get in there and and get some time in net. I mean, you want to make sure that that you know you have two guys that are sharp and ready to go. And Ford Parker's earned some playing time. We've seen him come up big at different times this season, and he got the start last night. Still made a couple big saves along the way, uh, but it ends up being the two two draw for United. Next up, they host Memphis. On Wednesday night, and speaking of New Mexico United doing things here in town, successful weekend for the academy team. They hosted the Somos Unidos Cup over the weekend, bringing in some different academy teams from around soccer and a a team from Mexico as well. New Mexico United's academy team going with a win and two draws, including a 4-1 victory over Atlanta United's academy team in the first game. So just continuing to bring more events, bringing more teams to town. And the Somos Unidos Cup off and nothing but good things that I've heard about it. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a neat event that they they decide to do these things. There's always activity. The team is on the road. What can we do here in this market? And, uh, you know, United continues to do that at the academy level. What is number three, Sam? Three. three. Well, it's a story that I heard over the weekend, and so I had to look into this just to make sure it was real. Not that it, I wouldn't have been surprised. But just wanted to make sure that it was real because I heard somebody tell the story over the weekend about Ozzy Osbourne and a time that he was in Albuquerque. He was so you ver- verified this this story. Then. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I, I mean, I heard it first over the weekend on one of the uh, Sirius XM channels, and then had to you know just double check to make sure. But there was a time he was in Albuquerque. He was out of his mind. He was on different things. Let's just call it. He was. He was uh, very intoxicated. He was very intoxicated. And he decides to take a ride on the on the Sandia Peak Tram. Okay. The vehicles at one point the vehicle stops about a thousand feet up in the air. The story goes, and so Ozzy Osbourne he takes the ladder to go to the roof, goes on top of the tram, and then it starts moving again, and he rides it like a surfboard. <laughs> And live to tell the tale. No doubt, or you to tell his tale. And that was verified. You did some research on that. I did double check, yes. Okay, I'm- well, I mean, with Ozzy Osbourne, we, you know, you would expect uh, those kind of things. Yeah, that's kind of neat to have Albuquerque attached to that story. I guess, <laughs> I guess, I guess. Surfing on top of the Sandia Peak tram as if he was uh, in Malibu, and um, yeah, that was that was a number of years ago. I, I'm sure he wouldn't be able to get away with that. Now, what is number two, Sam? Well, just in the along the same lines of crazy chaos and things that make your head spin in sports, we go back to the world of golf. Where after three second place finishes on the season, Will Zalatoris finally wins his first event, and it's a good time to do it. He wins the first round of the FedEx Cup playoffs in Memphis, beating Sepp Straka in the third playoff hole. And I, I, I'm watching this, and I, I can't tell if this is really good or really bad. I mean, certainly it's entertaining, but they're hitting the balls all over the place. The, the last hole, they go to the... I think it was the 11th hole at the course that was kind of like yeah, the 17th at Sawgrass. Yeah, they had played 18, and both of them in this playoff, first of all, Zalatoris made some bombs in order to stay in the, the playoff situation. They go to the playoffs. They play 18 the first time in this playoff. Both of them play it pretty clean. Um, 
The next time they go back to 18, as per the rule, and off the tee, Zalatoris is almost out of bounds. Straka almost hits it in the lake. Uh, so Straka has to take a drop, and then he hits it tight. Uh, Zalatoris punches it out, hits it tight. Then it goes on to the third playoff hole, a par three where everybody had been playing that hole reasonably well. Zalatoris hits it basically into the lake, but he's on the ledge right above the lake. So I say basically in the lake is that he's not, his ball isn't wet, but he's got no shot. And then Straka there with the opportunity, he's on the tee box. All he has to do is hit a hit a ball into the middle of the green. Anywhere on the green and yeah, you win. Anywhere, even short of the green. Uh, anywhere that's dry, uh, he's fine. Even in a bunker, he's fine. But, but instead, he hits his really wet. And as it turns out, you know, he ends up with a double or an opportunity for a double. But Zalatoris goes back to the drop area, gets up and down for his bogey, and he wins the tournament, his first victory ever. Yeah, because Seb Straka, he hits the first one in the water, and then he does the drop shot, and then hits that one in the bunker. At that point, you, you could tell he was just rattled. Yeah, yeah, he was rattled. Yes, no doubt about it. All right. Um, by the way, Zalatoris played his college golf where, Sam? Well, man, I'm not trying to give you a true or false question. Oh, they You're, were talking about Georgia for one of the two. Then, no, was that no, Straka. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Zalatoris, Oregon. Ah. Okay, Oregon. He's a duck. Plays for, played for Casey Martin. You remember Casey Martin sent him a putter not too long ago? Oh, sure. Uh, that, you know, that he's used along the way. I, pro- I bet he's still using it. Let's not forget, you know, Cibola High School's own Aiden Kraft, who I'm efforting to try and get on this week. Uh, because we're celebrating the city tournament this week, 81st city tournament. I don't know if Aiden is playing this year, but we're tracking him down and trying to get him on the air. He is going to the University of Oregon. He will be a duck, and he could have gone, I think, just about anywhere. Um, Lobo's uh, great relationship with the people at the UNM golf program, but just deciding to go to Oregon. Hopefully we can effort Aiden Craft later on in the week. All right, uh, what is number two, Sammy? Or number one. Number one, sorry. Yeah, this one was a a, a roller coaster soundbite. This comes from Browns offensive lineman Joel Batonio. So the Browns play the Jaguars on Friday. It's in Jacksonville. Deshaun Watson makes, makes his Browns debut. And the Jacksonville fans, of course, were letting him have it with a lot of things that can't be repeated on the radio. And no. so after the game... Joel Batonio gets asked about, you know, n- not just being booed on the road, but, you know, this particular way with everything going on with Deshaun Watson. I think once Deshaun came out of the game, we got booed less. <laughs> but uh, but you go to a road game, I mean, they boo you anyway, you know what I mean? So we'll, we'll see how it goes. It, it seems like more than ever, Cleveland gets the world, so we'll be ready for it. Cleveland against the world was not what I was expecting there. Well, you know, first of all, that's the way offensive linemen are. They kind of revel in that kind of stuff. And, you know, he didn't really touch. You you still don't think that there's been a, an adequate apology by Deshaun Watson. But here's the thing is he's got to be very careful in what he says because to this point he's not been prosecuted for anything. Right. And he did uh, try. Yeah, he, he did. Uh, he did do a short interview before the game and and made a statement where it was something that was more of you know sorry that I made people, people feel, feel a certain way than than anything else. But yeah, this it's it made it's, me feel uncomfortable. It's not going when I away. Heard this story. Okay. Well, anyway, we're going to keep talking NFL when we come back. 
Cowboys fresh off of 17 penalties. We'll have what Mike McCarthy says about that and also some critics of what Mike McCarthy said when we come back. Team Talk, he's Sam Hauser, Joe O'Neill, ESPN Radio, 101.7 The Team.